0: This is Creative Banter. Creative genius Nick Carver joins me this week for a blunt discussion on society. We kicked the conversation off by discussing how terrifying lifestyle changes can be, which, I know, is a very common thread in recent months. Really though, I wanted to bring Nick on to discuss why he chose to release a four-hour-long video and then ask people to pay for it. Through this, we discussed the societal idea that entertainment should be free along with the reality of running ads on YouTube. And then we get into the meat of the conversation. Anxiety, depression, and mental well-being. This is a long one, so batten down the hatches, and let's dive right into it.
1: for me. Yeah. So, how have you been, though? I've uh, been good, man. It's been um been a lot of work managing this whole extended play thing, but yeah. it's going well. Just got off the phone with uh my video host. Okay. And uh have to get more bandwidth. <laughs> I've been doing too well, so it's good good problem to have, but you know still still a problem.
0: Yeah, I noticed that when I was watching it that it uh, liked to buffer here and there a little bit, and kind of figured that was a Bandwidth kind of issue, maybe. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but it was good. I enjoyed watching it. watched it a lot quicker than what I, uh, what I thought that I would while I was cleaning and organizing, getting ready for my girlfriend to move in. So, exciting well, thanks. things. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a big deal. How's that going? It's kind of started, but also not really. Um, so, she's teaching right now and her last day is tomorrow and then she goes down for this uh, music, country music festival and after she gets back from that we leave for acadia on wednesday and okay. after that she officially moves in we get the ball really rolling so nice man how long have you guys been together uh 9 years a little over wow good for you. yeah it's great man yeah yeah since uh freshman year of high okay. school so it's been yeah uh, yeah
1: so you're basically living together already won't be any surprises
0: <laughs> no I, mean, I, f- I figured this past weekend we put furniture together. We put together some bookshelves, and nice. like we didn't fight. So I'm like, that's a good step. That's that's good. That's a yeah. That's <laughs> a good sign. Oh, that's cool, man. Good for you. Yeah. So a lot of changes on my end, but yeah, we'll see how everything goes. You uh, are you still in school? I just graduated with my master's. Congrats! Thank you. What was master's in? Uh, English education for okay. teaching high school. Yeah. Oh, cool, man. That's what you want to do? Yeah. I mean, it it's something I've. Uh, gone back and forth on what exactly I want to do with it if anything. I mean, I've applied to a couple of different uh positions but haven't really heard anything back yet. So, yeah, figure that out and worst case there's a camera shop not too far for me to go work at and yeah. see see what happens, but plan B.
1: I've always thought it'd be uh be kind of fun to teach high school kids. I think it'd be tough, yeah,
0: in ways, but I don't know, that seems like a seems like that'd be a fun thing to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, my my big problem with the English curriculum right now is the fact that it's like it's teaching a bunch of old books from stuffy old white guys. <laughs> it's like it's not a lot of like diversity in that kind of sense. And so, huh. it's... coming back to California, I feel like we
1: only <laughs> we only really got got given anything if it had some sort of a diversity cred. Yeah, that's when I went to school. That was way back in two thousand
0: two, two thousand three. So most of the stuff that I like grew up reading is the same stuff that they're teaching now. It's like the going huh. through Shakespeare. It's going through like. 1984 and uh, Animal Farm, that kind of real old books, just the classics really. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Not too interested in that, but my student teaching placement was all about like true crime and uh, so we looked at serial killers and that kind of deal, which was fascinating and very different. Wow. Yeah. So, that that's was really very, cool. that spoiled me for that experience of teaching English in that way. So, yeah. it's going to be tough going into it into a classroom if I get a job and having to teach what I learned when I was going through high school. God, I hated Shakespeare. My, my one teacher who kind of inspired me to become a teacher myself or thought of that path, uh, he is obsessed with Shakespeare and I don't understand it. I, <laughs> I, I don't get it. He absolutely loves everything Shakespeare. I'm like, dude, you need to get a life outside of... That's funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's almost like he kind of are expected to be into Shakespeare
1: if you're into that, yeah. into that line of work, you know. But I don't know, every time we tried to learn Shakespeare, I just could not under- understand what the F was going <laughs> on Jeez. in the story. It's like I'm too dumb for it or something. I just, the, 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 the English and like the, the prose and everything, I'm like, I can't, I need this like written, translated
0: into modern English. The, the problem with it though is the fact that it was never meant to be read anyway. It was meant to be like watched. It's it's, oh, yeah? it's
1: it's a script. Good point. It's a
0: play, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we're trying to read this, We're trying to decipher this. It's old language, like you said, and yeah. now we're trying to read something that we were supposed to be watching and enjoying. So, it's that's taught in point. all the wrong ways, I think, but... That was probably a very difficult part of it to me. I saw what <laughs> they were doing. It's like,
1: oh, that's what they're
0: talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, so, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I'll probably know what my next move is by august after i get back from colorado so nice yeah figure that out and then the fun really begins of either lesson planning and navigating the politics of teaching or figuring out how else to make money so yeah
1: exciting times man exciting time in a person's life yeah, exciting, oh, terrifying. I you're able to enjoy it. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> so, that's the thing is the terrifying part of it. It's, it's hard to enjoy it when you're, when you're in it but I don't know, it doesn't really get any less terrifying as you get older. It's just different, <laughs> different terrifying stuff. <laughs> but if you can get a lot of the, I don't know, younger guy terrifying stuff out of the way, there's just other stuff that pops up
0: but um, yeah, that's, that's cool, man. I'm yeah. happy for you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And, yeah, so... Obviously, one of the main things that I wanted to talk with you about was your extended play that you put out recently. Yeah. And so I know that going back a couple months, you had posted a video about kind of being uh, unsure how to proceed with your on location videos that you weren't getting first, at least some of them you weren't getting out of it, what you had hoped. Um, and you weren't sure how you wanted to go about that. So what really caused you to go with the extended place? Like, what made you come up with that idea and really go against the grain of everything? The on-location
1: videos that I do, I kind of have like, I guess, kind of two categories of it. I have the going out to the desert camping kind of ones that are a little more uh, multi-day expedition based. And then I have local ones where I'll just go out and kind of shoot shoot a building here in Orange County or something like that. And the the desert ones, the camping ones, those are always the most popular. But they're just way more freaking work than people realize <laughs> like they're... It, it's such an obscene amount of work and um, I really like providing them to people but to be honest, the, the return on investment when it just goes on YouTube is just... It, it's always right on that razor-thin line of like, I'm never doing this again because it, it's just so much effing work that uh, I don't really want to do it when it's done. Like, mm-hmm. I, I get to the end of it and I'm like, I, I look back on how much work it was and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to do this anymore. But um, but then I see the finished product and I'm like, yeah, let's do that again. That's cool. <laughs> it's really worth it for the finished product. <laughs> so, I, I was trying to find a way where I'm like, all right, maybe I can make this more worth my while so I can make these videos which I'm proud of and I, I like that people like them and, and everything but make it a little more worth the effort. And it just kind of popped in my head one day. Well, like, well, what if I, what if I made a really long one, like you know, four hours long, three hours long, something like that? And I just put it behind a paywall. Nothing, make it affordable uh, for people. Not make it some you know two hundred dollar thing, but just try and make it uh, accessible, but also worth it for the effort that I put into it. And then, so I kind of thought, well, I'll do these uh, extended plays, and I'll do a free version on YouTube. People will still get what they want over on YouTube, and I'm not going to abandon all those people that have supported me over the years uh, on YouTube. I'll still give them a free version, but I'll just uh, do a much, much longer version for any of the, I guess, quote unquote, diehard viewers. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, see how it goes. And it's been doing it's been doing pretty well. Um, I know some. Some people were upset about it, which I expected, you know, uh, I, I get it. No one really likes being asked to pay for something that previously was free. Uh, but I, I guess what I hope people eventually realize from that is I'm not taking away something that would have been given to them for free. Mm-hmm. I, I'm creating additional on top of that that wouldn't have been created if I wasn't able to make, make some, mon- some more money off it. So, it's... um. It's truly extra stuff that wouldn't have existed if I wasn't able to to monetize it in this way. Um, and uh, as I mentioned on the YouTube video where I announced it, you know there, there's ways to monetize on YouTube that a lot of people do that I just don't really want uh, want to do. I, I don't want to have sponsored videos. I don't want to you know be hawking the latest camera gimbal on my video so that people can. Can still get these videos. I just, I I think anyone who wants me to take that route, you know, of just kind of like, oh, just do sponsor videos and give it to us for free, and they're not really paying attention to my work. I mean, if you look at a lot of my photos, I mean, half of it is a commentary on the over consumerist nature of modern society, and I, you know, I'm shooting these buildings with a shitload of advertisements in the windows. Like, I'm not shooting those just because I think they're pretty or something. Like, it's it's a bit of a commentary on how. American society is with just kind of branding everywhere and there's products everywhere and you know, that's why I like shooting bargain stores and dollar generals and stuff like that. I just think it's it's such a weird part of our culture of just kind of buy, 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 buy and throw away, throw away, throw away, throw away, throw away and uh, part of the reason I don't Really want to have a video where I'm telling you to go buy this this shitty thing just so I can get paid, <laughs> you know?
0: It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah.
1: it just doesn't doesn't feel right. So that was a very long answer, but um, yeah, it's a uh, just a way for me to kind of make the the videos worth the effort. That's the other thing I don't think people realize how much effort goes into these videos. I, I actually and how little YouTube pays. I uh, I actually ran some numbers on my last. My last six on location videos, I'll share these with you because I don't know if the viewers might or listeners might find this interesting but so, my last six on location videos, I took the averages of how many views I got and what the ad revenue was. Those last six, I averaged 51,000 views per video
0: which mm-hmm.
1: that ain't Thomas Heaton numbers but <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's still difficult to get that many views. It took, it took me nine years to build up an audience to get 51,000 views for, per video. And uh, those videos averaged two hundred ninety-eight dollars and fifty-eight cents in ad revenue each. So
0: You're under three hundred.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah I, I don't know what to do with all this money. <laughs> um, so I'm getting like less than three hundred dollars per video if it has fifty-one thousand views, and that's running ads at the beginning, middle, and end. So that's that's a full ad run. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this is why YouTubers. I don't even like calling myself a YouTuber, but this is why YouTubers have to take Squarespace sponsorships and they got to sell merch and they got to do all this, all this stuff. So, um, I didn't really want to go any of those routes. So, thus
0: the extended play was born. Um, so it's been working well. I didn't realize, and I'm sure a lot of other people listening to this and even looking through the comments, like, seeing all the negative comments that like were cropping up when you announced this Mm it's just the like you said the realization that you're not making shit from this like you're that's that's what half your audience for in terms of views because you have what a little over a hundred thousand subscribers right now something like that so that's that's, a subs and only 51k video or views and that's 300 bucks each like that that barely pays for my yearly film. And I I don't shoot it like much at all but still like that that barely pays for that so and that's banking on a huge portion of your subscribers listening or watching that. That's crazy. And
1: and what's fun, and and I could even see people making the argument of like, well, you're taking pictures anyway so you can't really justify the cost of the film and, and you're camping anyway, it's fun for you, you can't really justify the cost of the gas, like these are all things you'd be paying for anyway, so this is 300 on top of that. But I even looked at like how much time does it take me to, to make the videos. Uh, yeah. So not factoring in any physical overhead costs, just what time does it take and you know, the actual time in the editing bay, um, so not including filming it, just editing it comes out to about an hour per minute of finished video mm-hmm. uh, and that's... Relatively standard, if you Google, you know, how long does it take to edit a video, it'll say 30 to 60 minutes. So, like industry standard is kind of 30 to 60 minutes to get one minute of finished video. I'm definitely at the long end of that because one, I'm not a professional video editor. So, I'm not that fast, but also I'm super nitpicky because I I agonize over, you know, half a second here, half a second there. But So, if I put out a a 25-minute video on YouTube, you can assume it took me 25 hours just to edit the video. Yeesh. So, not yeah. film it or anything. So, that's that's three work days. That's three full work days. And then you can easily tack on another two work days just in filming it, planning it, um, getting the film developed, scanning the film, all that on top of the the three days spent just editing it. So, that's five working days just to make a 25-minute video for YouTube. And if I'm getting Two hundred ninety-eight dollars and fifty-eight cents for a full work week. That's seven forty-six per hour. Like yeah, California's minimum wage is is double that. It's over double that. So you know, I, I think people who haven't done any video editing and they're kind of just used to YouTube videos that are free. I could see why they would be irritated, but the, I think a lot of people just don't realize how much work it is. And you know, if you're getting Mr. Beast views. It's like sure, yeah. He gets twenty-two million views. He's making a two hundred grand per per video. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that for free. <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. I just can't justify for you know three hundred dollars. So, so anyway, that's my big long rant on why I'm charging people for for four hour video.
0: No, but like you said, that it, it's something that a lot of people just don't. They don't see the back end of that. I think there's there's this problem where we we don't share as creators. We don't often talk about like. The negative monetary sides of what we do and the fact that yeah it, we are like some people say we are going out and taking photographs regardless whether we share them or not and we are enjoying the time camping and we'll get into a little bit more with that from your ep but um, when, when it's not always enjoyable <laughs> no no it's always enjoyable it's always a great time <laughs> <Always>. <laughs> but we don't we don't talk about like the the actual true costs of everything, like the fact that I just went on to B&H to order more film for my trip to Acadia next week, and price of film keeps going up. And yeah, yeah. obviously, everybody says like, "Oh, well, then just go shoot digital and all that other bullshit. But yeah, yeah. It, it's still the, the reality of that prices of everything keep going up. And we aren't, if we're posting things to YouTube, if we are using trying to get ad revenue or whatever, we're not making like anything from it even when you're getting 51,000 people to watch a video i mean that's a ton of people like yeah. from my level right now i could not imagine having 51,000 people listening to this podcast right. or reading my writing and to think that you have all those people and that's not even 10 cents that's not even a cent for yeah. each person that's that's viewing you like i've i've listened to other youtubers um, Sean Tucker has talked about this before, and he's said that out of all of his views, he obviously does the ad revenue and does sponsorships and such, but a lot of his times, like, he'll ask people to donate or to support him, and it's, like, three people, five people. Like, it's, <laughs> it, it's such a small amount of people, despite having a ton, yeah. of, a ton of subscribers who apparently want to support your work, but don't want to do it yeah. if they have to open up their wallet.
1: So... Yeah. That's a, that's a big next step for people. And like, so I solicit contributions too. That was the first thing I tried to try and make up for such shitty ad revenue is I, I started asking in videos, you know, Hey, if you like this, you can send me, you can buy me a beer. I tried to put it that way, you know, yeah. so make it a little easier for people. But, um, and the same thing. It's like some people are super generous, but it is. A fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of people watching. So I'm like, I'm eternally grateful for the people that are willing to do it, but you just can't assume most people are doing it. And in fact, like my wife makes fun of me because I have some channels that I follow that I, I watch their stuff all the time. And she's asked me a couple of times, like, you ever uh, send a donation to those channels? And I'm like, nope, <laughs> not <Yeah>. once. <laughs> no. like, and I tell her, I'm like, I know I'm a hypocrite. Like I, I just. I always plan on doing it, and then I don't do it. So it, I I can't really fault people for not wanting to 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 contribute or to buy the thing I'm selling. The vast majority of the time, I'm not going to do that. But you know, like you said, there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff, and um, most people, I think, just don't don't think about how much work goes into it. We're, We're so used to free content, we're so inundated with YouTube and Instagram videos that you know people seem to be just putting them out for free. So, yeah, stuff's free. So, you you kind of don't really think about, well, it's not going to keep
0: coming if they're not going to make some money off it. So, people got to figure out how to do that. Yeah, I have an essay that I wrote that's sitting and waiting for somewhere to publish it to, whether it's my site or something else, but pretty much go through this whole this whole thing of just, like you said, we're inundated with free content. I mean, you look at since TV came out, we've, not paid really for tv for all the channels that we have like yeah we pay for that through advertisements and now right. we are getting to the point where we are instead on the other side of that we're paying for netflix and hulu and hbo max and all of these other streaming services that we have to really be picky about what we want at this point we're inundated now with subscription services and then we go on to youtube yeah. and everything's still free so it's it's a weird It's a weird mix right now where we can only subscribe or contribute to so many different platforms before we run out of money ourselves and can't afford our own bills. Like for me to, I would love to support other photographers like yourself, like Ben, like Guy Tall and plenty of others out there through their Patreons or whatever. But for someone like me who I just graduated from college and am now trying to navigate the the rest of my life like it's difficult for me to contribute in those ways so i can still i can relate to both sides where yeah as a creator i want to get contributions from other people i want to have that and be paid for the work that i'm doing and putting out there even if it is something that ultimately i'm probably going to do it anyway but still to have that financial it would be nice and then yeah. at the same time i could see the other side of like Well, look, I've got to pay for Netflix and all my entertainment services. I've got to pay for my film and the rest of my own life too. And to tack on the 30 to 50 bucks for four hours of content when you can get for $15, hundreds of hours of content on Netflix is, it it can be a tough sell. Yeah. And I thought about
1: that too when I was trying to figure out the pricing for this thing because I'm like, well, Netflix only costs me this much. And I have basically endless entertainment. How can I justify asking someone, you know, this amount for four hours, that's yeah. it, not going to get any more. But, you know, Netflix has power in numbers. They, they got enough people subscribing that the price can come down and, you know, you kind of have to price it. On, I have to price mine almost like it's a boutique, you know, yeah. bespoke one-off kind of thing, which is going to make it more expensive even though you're not getting quite as much. Um, And, you know, like you were saying with uh, kind of being sympathetic to both sides of, you know, people who think it should just be free and they'll just watch ads and that's how they, you know, want to get it. Uh, I completely get that too because like, like, how old old are you, Cody? I'm 24. Okay, 24. So, I'm 36 and going from your age to my age, there was a definite transition in my life where I went from money was more valuable than my time when I was younger. Mm Mm-hmm to now where my time is much more valuable than my money to me yeah. and that's just because you start to stare death in the face a little bit <laughs> as you get older and like you start to see, oh, I, I don't have infinite time here and mm-hmm. uh, like watching a 60-second ad is much more aggravating to me at this age than it was like at your age because you can almost like just hear the clock ticking in your brain when you're doing something that you don't value. Uh, when you get to an older age. And so, I, I can understand both sides of it where certain people and they're not even necessarily young. So sometimes if you're older, same deal. It's just like, you know, your money's more worth more to you than your time. And that's not bad or good. I'm not passing pass any judgment on that. But for some people, their time is worth more than their money because maybe they got kids they don't see enough or they got travel plans they want to do and um You know, it's just different uh, incentives for people. So, that's why I kind of wanted to make sure I have a free version on YouTube for people that, you know, they're willing to watch a few ads, no big deal, and and they would love to get the content for free that way. But then for people that really just want kind of mainlined entertainment straight into their veins without anything blocking them and they're willing to pay 30 bucks
0: for that, then they'll have that option. So, yeah. So, I I definitely sympathize with both sides, uh, just like you were saying. I do think that's... stronger way of going about things is having kind of trying to have best of both worlds if you can with something like youtube where you do have your extended play that people like me and clearly some of your subscribers are going to actually want to like you said have it streamlined right away and not have to worry about ads i mean that's that's the other thing like with my generation i don't know it almost feels as if my generation and those coming up are more interested in time and valuing time more than money at this point Mm. which like from what you were saying is kind of like a flip of the script but that's just my perception on it that like you look around and you see everyone who they don't want to work for 10 bucks 12 bucks an hour and it's it's just as much i think of the idea that well you can't really survive off of that regardless where you live in this country but on top of that like my time is worth more than 12 bucks an hour like i want to be making more so I'd much rather go out to nature or hang around at the house and do nothing all day than have that and it's it's a weird flip, but I definitely do think it's coming up more and so I'm curious to see how things are going to change in the next five to ten years as my generation starts to actually get money and like come up into our 30s and are able to support the creators that we actually want to because personally yeah. I have ad block on my on my laptop <laughs> but now of course you have youtube that's like hey you have ad block we're going to do bypass that like yeah, it's a cost, constant arms race yeah they need to make sure you see the ads and no one wants to see them so it's just <laughs> everyone trying to out technology each other I, I was reading something the other day about youtube and they are not only are they trying to bypass the ad blocks that you have so like i'll still go on youtube and every once in a while i'll click on Something and I'll play an ad, but my ad block it blocks the um, it blocks the actual video part of it, mm. so it's just a black screen, but not the sound. So you'll be listening to the ad, and you still have the skip button. But oh. yeah, so it's like a half and a half. And now even further, oh. YouTube's talking about putting on they're extending their or getting rid of 15 second ads or 30 second ads and making them all 60 seconds, and then they want to um, put ads when you pause a video as well. Like you, like you're not making enough money. Like that's just gonna yeah. that's just gonna irritate people even more. And the, the the biggest issue is the fact that YouTube is such a monopoly or conglomerate organization that it's like where yeah, it's where else am I gonna do it? Go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So.
1: I know it's weird, man. Big big corporations like that. I mean, they can kind of do whatever they want once they get to that level. Plus, people, it's like a, you know, it's like boiling a frog. Like you just slowly get people more used to. Uh, just 15 seconds ads and you can, you know, you can skip them, no big deal. And then people get used to that and it's like, oh, we're going to be 30 seconds now and yeah, we'll let you skip some of them and then they kind of just keep you know, slowly increasing it until you realize like, oh, I'm watching more ads on this seven-minute YouTube video than yeah. <laughs> I used to watch on TV back when it was like, you know, you couldn't skip past. But it, yeah, it's uh, I think it, that's the only way it can go. I mean, they, they just got to keep increasing
0: profits. So, I mean, I'll, I'll click on little, the stupid little like 10, 15, 30 second videos. Yeah. And it'll be, I'll be watching more ads than I will video. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a 30 second, it's a 30 second video that has three minutes of ads to it. I'm like, what, yeah. what is going on? And I'd, of course, at that point, it's always unskippable too. So I'm yeah. like, all right, well, this is just isn't worth it. My favorite is when I go to watch a movie trailer and, I, and there's ads before the movie
1: trailer. It's like, I'm coming to watch an ad. Yeah, exactly. For the movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to watch ads to watch an ad? This is insane.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how it's going. But yeah. going back into our conversation a bit, we had mentioned about the joys of camping. And mm-hmm. something that Ben and I have talked about repeatedly is what he calls the first day funk. And hmm. I, I thought that it was very... Um, I definitely saw parallels when watching through your EP and seeing as to how you react for first days and going throughout the extended trips. Yeah. And first of all, as I said in email, I commend you for sharing that so openly because as someone who speaks very openly about mental health and who believes very firmly in sharing our struggles, especially as creators, because... Through the sharing, we are able to come together and relate better and sympathize, empathize more with one another. It's a conversation that I think we need to have. It's something that you always hear about, like the starving artist and the artist, like most artists having some kind of mental issue, mental health issue, um, which isn't always the case. But you hear about it, but then you don't really talk about how to amend it, or you don't have like a positive conversation about it. It's always Oh, well, if you want to be an artist, you have to be fucked up in the head. <laughs> like,
1: Yeah, there's that cliche of the tortured, art- tortured artist, you know. Exactly. And um, oddly, that's given me some bit of solace in dealing with the kind of shit I deal with on that because it's like, oh, well, maybe, maybe there is something to that. Maybe that's a cliche for a reason. Maybe there has to be some degree of struggle to create something really, really worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe not. Maybe it's just a cliche and there's not any truth to it. But um, I've been getting uh, emails from people who signed up for this EP, you know, telling me how much they enjoy it. But one of the ones that keeps coming up is people saying how much they can relate to the difficulties I was going through with um, the first night I was there. And for anyone who obviously hasn't seen the EP, it was three-night three camping and the first night was just... Uh, a little rough, um, <laughs> mentally. So it's just, uh, uh, exhaustion and, uh, not much sleep and things kind of all going to shit. And then the self-imposed pressure of wanting to make sure I took good pictures and made, made good video all just kind of led up to it being a bit too much for me. So that's common for me personally. Uh, that's why I dubbed it the, uh, crushing regret of night one. Every time I go out, I regret it. Like as soon as uh, night nightfall mm-hmm. starts to set in and um, the fact that it's so tightly correlated with nightfall just has made me realize it's a very reptilian kind of caveman reaction in me uh, largely. Darkness falls and there's that part of your brain that hasn't fully evolved yet that just kind of like, yeah, this is danger time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is when, you know... People freeze to death. This is when animals come out. This is when you become prey. And I think that part of my brain can, can really take over if I'm, if I'm tired. Cause it's just like, like I made a joke about it on the extended play, but, uh, I really think like anxiety for me is a readily available fuel source. It, it's just always there. It, it's plentiful. It's cheap. It burns hot. So if I don't have enough food in me, if I don't have enough sleep in me, and those energy sources are depleted, my brain just like, oh, we got a whole shitload of anxiety here we can tap into that's just yeah. been building up yeah, over yeah. the past many months and it's like yeah, it may, things you haven't been addressing, things you haven't really been talking about. So, yeah, that's been piling up. No, we're good. We got a ton, of, ton of energy right here. So, it just like just pours all this anxiety on top of whatever little bit of anxiety I might be feeling at that moment. And it's like, oh, it's not just that the pictures aren't as good as you hope. Everyone's going to figure out that you're a hack the video sucks. Uh, you're not going to be able to do the next one. That means you're not going to be able to figure out uh, your next revenue stream. That means you're going to start running out of money, bud. So, you better, you know, start looking at different careers. Like it just piles up and it's just feeding on that energy and it's giving me all this energy. And the weird thing that happened on that, that trip is I was very sleep deprived and I was very road weary, but I, I never yawned. I didn't feel like I needed to sit down, I didn't feel like I needed to stop. I I had all this energy but I I really think it was just anxiety was fueling me. I just kind of, I had enough uh, you know, bad thoughts going through my head to just kind of distract me from any sort of exhaustion so I didn't feel exhausted but I actually, I definitely was and uh, something
0: I deal with every time I go camping. So, maybe it'll never go away. Yeah, it's, I don't go camping near as often as I would like to. And I don't think I've ever experienced anything to quite that same extent, but I definitely can uh, sympathize with that feeling of like, I remember going back to elementary school when I would go over to friends' houses, and I even talked to my girlfriend about this when after I had watched the EP, and you were fine throughout the day, and then you get to that nighttime, and it's like... I'm at a place where I know one or two other people and a bunch of other people that I don't know and or even if it's just you and your best friend sleeping over and you're just in an unfamiliar place and yeah reptilian brain just takes over and is like this is unsafe even if though you're around someone that you should trust and I want to yeah. get out of here and there have been a number of times where I've called in like middle of the night hey mom come pick me up because I can't do yeah. this kind of deal and same. I don't think that's ever necessarily come over with camping, primarily because of the fact that I'm, like, like going to Acadia next week. I'm 13 hours away from home, 12 hours mm. away from home. Like, yeah. that's really difficult to pack everything back up, cancel everything <laughs> over that first night,
1: yeah, and yeah, drive got, back home. I'm,
0: yeah, I'm like, okay. I don't have a choice here, so yeah. I have to force myself into this quieting down my brain and realizing no a tree is most likely not going to fall over and crush yeah. us in the middle of the night and all the other like stupid little anxiety ridden thoughts that come around like yeah and so well, I yeah think, i mean i think that,
1: that, i think that's actually a good approach by the way is forcing yourself into a situation where you, you don't have an out you yeah. know you just kind of and that's kind of similar to me with the arizona thing cuz hey it was far enough drive i wasn't going to just turn around and go home but also I had committed to making these videos, yeah, and I knew that if I if I went home, those are going to be scrapped. So, um, I, I and I wasn't that wasn't an option to me at all. But um, yeah, it, it's really interesting to to hear from you and, uh, and other people because it it was it was a little worrisome sharing sharing that stuff in the video. Oh because, man, it's, um,
0: tough. It, yeah, it's it, so it, tough. It's so
1: it, tough. You feel weak doing it. Uh, it's it's vulnerability and like. I don't know about you but when I'm out there having one of those like little micro mental mental breakdowns I'm just thinking like well fucking like Jocko Willink wouldn't be having this this problem like <laughs> we kind of live in this culture where like I don't know we've made a lot of progress but it's still kind of difficult for dudes to to admit like yeah dude I'm just fucking having a hard time right now you yeah. know it's like cuz you you start thinking well I'm not I'm not like going through Boot camp right now. This isn't that big a deal. I'm camping. I'm, I'm supposed to be having fun. So I, you start to kind of invalidate your own, your own feelings about it because that you think like logically, well, the people deal with much worse. You know, I, I even start thinking like, what if I was in Ukraine right now? Like I'm having to, I'm having to fight in a war in 2023. And, but me, Nick Carver is like having to sleep in the back of my forerunner is a bit too much for me. Like I can't. You just start to feel so stupid about it. But, you know, I I think it probably is good to acknowledge it and not pass judgment on it when it's happening and try and just, you know, you can't really, I don't know, you can't really pass judgment on those kind of things. It's hard to know what gets people to rise to the occasion versus cave in. Maybe if I was in the trenches, I, I wouldn't feel this upset. Maybe there's some weird combination of what I'm dealing with in that moment. The fact that there is an easy out or something makes it harder i don't know but um yeah it's it's hard
0: to admit that sometimes that you're you're struggling especially as especially as guys especially as men like we are conditioned and even like i think my generation the younger side of my generation and those coming up are a little bit better off than what i was but it's still not nearly as it should be i mean yesterday i went to my cousin's house for uh, to play board games he's big into board games we get together every like every other month or so to play a couple for the night and uh, going over there i'm like faced with anxiety i'm literally like getting all of my stuff together to go over just to spend five hours six hours over mm-hmm. there and driving over dealing with anxiety I'm like, dude, you're driving over there to play board games, to eat some food, and to just chill for the night with your cousin. Like, You're acting like you're going up and meeting with a stranger or some shit. Like, chill. But this, this entire time, and even I get there, everything's good. I'm good. I go to leave, and I'm coming back home, and my anxiety acts up. And I'm like, I'm driving home at night, going to my house where you had wanted to be six hours ago. Yeah. I'm like, dude, it's, it is, it is <laughs> insane how all that stuff acts up. But like yeah. you said, like, I think about this, I have fits of this, and my anxiety yeah. has been getting worse over the past few months for whatever reasons. But it's one of those deals of, like you said, you go and you think, well, what about the people over in Ukraine? What about X, Y, or Z individual? Like... They're doing so much more and their lives are more at risk than me going playing board games for the night or going out camping. But, like, at the same time, we we think of this and it's just detrimental because it makes it even worse. Because now you're having anxiety, an anxiety attack, or you're dealing with depression and you're thinking, well, this individual isn't going to be like this or it shouldn't be acting like this. But in reality, we also don't know. Like... Because that conversation isn't necessarily had as pervasively as it should be, it's tough to be able to actually say that. Oh well, Nick Carver isn't dealing with this to play board games, but like, yeah.
1: Well, I think there's definitely, and I've experienced this multiple times in my life, but I didn't really know what was happening until like my late twenties. But there's definite, there's a definite thing that can happen where if you're not dealing with something that should be dealt with, it will come out especially when you least want it to and very much when your mind is finally quieted for the first time in a while. So, like driving over to your cousin's house or something, for me, that would be a time when my mind is maybe finally quiet because all I can do is focus on driving and that's when the thing I haven't been dealing with, the shit I've been, you know, pretending is not a big deal or just kind of muscling through and not really talking about it or not really addressing it, that's when it starts starts to really come up. So, I, I kind of wonder sometimes with these uh, camping trips, it's like the first night I'm out there, maybe that's just the first time where I'm like not scrolling Instagram and not thinking about what I need to do tomorrow and not, you know, stressing about this and stressing about that and what's broken on the house this week and what do I need to fix and like maybe that's just the first time where I'm not so distracted that all my anxiety I haven't been addressing actually starts to well up. And then it starts to starts to take over yeah. because I've finally given it, I finally opened the door for it, you know, but it's like in just day-to-day life, I'm so caught up with, okay, this is what I got to do today, this is what uh, needs to get done, this is how I'm going to be making money next week, uh, this needs to get fixed on the house, that all the shit I'm not dealing with mentally doesn't really have an opportunity to take control of my brain because I, I'm so distracted with everything I got to do just in the daily course of life. But it's like as soon as you quiet your brain, all that stuff can really start to come in. Yeah. At least it can't for me.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's definitely something that a lot of people deal with when it's, it's the quiet moments that we fear the most when dealing with anxiety and mental health. Um, and I think that's also why we are so easily trapped in by the constant stream of content. I mean, you think about it like yeah, as bad as doom scrolling is for our mental health, and at least it really definitely was for mine which is why I got off of social media a couple of years ago. But we are—we go through these doom-scrolling times and try to bring in as much content into our mind to keep our minds busy so that way we don't have to deal with those quiet, quiet moments of boredom yeah. where we have to actually deal with the thoughts that are so heavily flooding our brains. Yeah. Camping definitely seems to be one of those times where like, especially if you're in a place where you don't have service or you can't yeah. so easily get away through social media or through other means. So, it's it's like, yeah, I can definitely see that having a yeah. strong correlation there. And being
1: alone in that moment because like if I go camping with just one other person, yeah. I, I don't have any
0: of these problems. I think that's what helps me a lot too is I go camping all the time with my yeah. girlfriend. Like every camping trip is with her. So, it's like even if we're both dealing with anxiety, like just being close to one another and having kind of like that yeah. miniature tribe, so to speak, where our reptilian brain, yeah. like you we were saying earlier, just kind of. Oh, well, we were with someone, so we're safe. We're good. This person will have our yeah. back if something happens, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So,
0: like I said, I think it's the conversation that needs to happen more openly. It's why I'm writing about in a like, kind of cross-memoir style on my website and throughout all of the writings that I do. Um trying to talk more about it on the podcast here and open up that conversation because... And we all know that photography, especially when in the like nature landscape realm, is inundated with primarily men, which is comes with its yeah. major downsides because we don't get voices from the other side. I think that also is kind of a strong reason as to why we deal so strongly with mental health and why we have the stigmas of the um, the tortured artist because of the fact that it's been men for the most part and we are terrible at uh, talking about our emotions and it's... Yeah. yeah, it's rough. But
1: I think men are not as good at talking about it for sure. But just from having uh, been with my wife for uh, 12 years now, not married the whole time, yeah. but, uh, been 12 years, definitely like I know for me and from a lot of guys I've talked to, it takes me a long time to figure out what's wrong yeah. when I'm, I'm having a problem. Mm-hmm. Like I've noticed it seems like women aren't, they don't have as much difficulty with that. Like maybe they're more in touch with their emotions and they kind of know right away what's actually upsetting them. But um, I usually have to take a few passes uh, on my own thoughts before I figure out, oh, this is actually the problem. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's hard to articulate a lot of the times why I'm feeling a certain way and I, I think guys might have a little bit tougher time with that. So, that adds a little bit of difficulty and complexity on top of it because even if you do want to talk about it, or even if it is with people who are open to it, it's like might take you a while to even formulate what the hell is going on. Yeah. yeah. It, other than just I feel bad right now, and like like that's the best you can come up with in the moment.
0: But it, it, it takes a while to articulate it. So I think that that's another challenge guys have to deal yeah, with. Yeah. And I think that that plays very heavily into the fact that we didn't grow up with we didn't grow up with good role models. Speaking about that. And like telling us how to deal with our emotions, it's always been like, "Oh, man up," or like, "Be a man." It's always like the biggest thing that you're told as a as a male kid. Whereas with the with daughters, it's like, oh, uh, it's it's, all, it's almost taken for granted that like they're going to be more sensitive, they're going to cry more, they're going to have more emotions. So yeah. trying to split that difference and show that girls yeah. are always told to different ways to cope with their emotions and the guys are just told to suck it up deal with it and get on with your life like show your anger through being productive and building something whereas the girls it's totally different and that's something that unfortunately we can't do a whole lot to control unless we have kids of our own but and even then dealing with it it's a societal issue to ultimately change things but yeah i find that same i find that same thing of my girlfriend will ask me what's wrong i'm like i don't know like I just, I'm yeah. off, I'm, I'm mentally off and she has to keep yeah. pushing that, broaching that subject and pushing me to till I'm finally like able to figure out, oh, it's, it's this that's bothering me today. It's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it only took me until my thirties to realize it's okay to just say like, I don't know what's wrong, Yeah. but something's wrong. So, and luckily my wife is very okay with that now, but yeah, as I've had to learn to do that. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just pissed. I, you didn't do anything. No one did anything. I'm just, yeah, I'm just off, off right now, yeah. and it'll resolve itself. But like, I, I, I don't. There's, I, I don't want to talk about it because there's nothing to talk about. I don't know what to talk about because I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. But that, that can be a weird thing to to people, I'm sure, who are, are more in touch with uh articulating their their difficulties. Yeah. Um, and I think it's tough with guys too because I, I do really value having strength and, and you know uh fostering strength and and working on your own ability to to get through those moments and to not let those emotions dictate too much of your life. So I, I am always trying to walk that that line of being open and, you know, acknowledging difficulties and, and difficult emotions, but also like not not wringing your hands about something that is not actually a problem. You know, like like being being strong and, and not Especially when you got someone else that can maybe kind of spin out if you start spinning out like just I guess picking your battles on on what emotions you're going to let be a big problem. Um, I've tried to be you know like even this, this camping stuff, I try and separate between okay, you're just tired, you're just uh, a little bit freaked out because you're alone in the desert. Versus this is an actual problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Like you're not being productive enough and that's why you're feeling depressed or, um, you know, because it, it is, I, I've definitely been able to make myself spin out if I let myself dwell too much on something that, you know, maybe you just need to go for a walk. Maybe you just need to, to exercise or something and it won't seem like as big of a deal. But instead, I'm just going to sit there and like think about it and really try and try and figure it out mentally it might be better sometimes to just you know treat it like a pet or something like okay this you're you don't have enough food in your system you're not exercising enough like if my dog doesn't play enough he becomes a nightmare <laughs> yeah. so it's like why would i assume i'm any different you know like maybe i'm an animal just like him a much more evolved animal but maybe you just need to give yourself something for 15 minutes that'll get your mind off it and then you'll be fine um versus you know kind of picking it apart too much. But it's a, it's a hard line hard line to walk. It's hard to know what, what emotions and what things you're feeling are really actual problems that need to be addressed versus, I mean, you just need to get out and work with your hands for, for the day. You'll feel right as rain tomorrow. Like, you know, just kind of giving you your basic needs instead of, um, I don't know, overblowing something that maybe doesn't need
0: to be. Yeah. But it's complex stuff, so it's complex navigating it sometimes definitely is i mean i was thinking more about productivity this past few weeks and it was funny it was talking to my girlfriend because for the past month or so i've been writing a weekly essay article whatever on various topics and trying to navigate that realm of the side of writing business so to speak and the one that i wrote about yesterday was Feigned productivity and this idea that we get into, we go onto YouTube to watch a educational video, and we get sucked into YouTube for three hours, or we think that we're going to be productive watching this ten minute video, and when in reality, we already had the information from it that we didn't need. Or we sit at our desk and we want to get, we know what we need to get done, but we sit there and instead we decide to clean or organize our desk. Or like yesterday, I know that I'm supposed to be writing these articles every week. I know that every Tuesday I want to publish one. Yet for some reason I get into this mindset of I've always been a big procrastinator, so I'll procrastinate. Yesterday at like 8.30 in the morning when I woke up, I still didn't have an article written to be published. So I'm like, okay, I know that I need to get this done before I go over to my cousins. I know that it's, that's like the primary thing for that needs to be completed. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, I'll get started at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock comes by, I'm like... Oh, I look over at my, uh, one of the plants that I have, a ponytail palm. I'm like, oh, the fronds on there are kind of getting brown for some of them. I should probably trim that. So I go and I trim those. I'm like, all right, all right. I seriously need to sit down and get this done. I go over to my desk. I grab my AirPods. I'm like, oh, my AirPods case is a little dirty. I'm going to grab a Q-tip real k- quick and clean these because otherwise they won't charge right. And then I don't want them to die in like in the middle of a run or something. So I clean those. I'm like, oh, my water's my cup is empty. I should get more water with some ice. And finally, I sit down. And I'm like, it took so much willpower for me to actually sit down. <laughs> I had to turn on do not disturb on my computer and and turn off the Wi-Fi yeah. and all that other stuff to finally sit down. and. To do something, and I was talking to my girlfriend about this, and she's like, "You probably have ADD or like ADHD or some kind of." Yeah, I did not want to say that. it sounds like ADD. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting down, and I, she was on the phone with me as I was driving home last night, and I was explaining this to her, and she's like, "Yeah, you definitely have some kind of like ADD, ADHD. I'm like, I know how to, I know how to relatively control it, but but it was just yeah. funny thing about that productivity thing of like I was reading. James Clear's Atomic Habits. In it, he was mentioning about like the uh, having your spaces designate for certain things. So something with productivity, that I'm trying with that is this idea of my desk. I can only do writing and photography stuff or like school if I get a job for teaching. Mm. So it has to be very specific things that I can do at my desk because otherwise I sit at my desk all day mm. and it just creates that environment where I wake up, I sit at my desk, I watch YouTube, I eat, I do everything there. Yeah. And... So, creating those different uh, spaces is definitely needed but at the same time getting into that productivity of like always feeling like you need to be productive, it can be great for helping with your mental health and to I find that the more, the busier that I am, the more active that I am throughout the day and moving around and feel like I'm actually doing something. The better that I feel yeah. versus sitting around at the couch watching TV or playing video games all day, yeah. but at the same time, if i 'm just watching YouTube videos and like in that feigned productivity mindset it's just as bad as it would be if i wasn 't doing anything at all
1: yeah, yeah, I know I know a couple people that are, are similar to you i' i'm lucky i've never been a procrastinator, I, like even in school I, I would come home and as soon as I got home, i'd do my homework. I was never one of those people that needed to be told because I, I have this uh I have this anxiety where if something is unfinished, it really gnaws away at me Um, Mm -hmm. and that's led to me mostly being very productive. It can lead to a lot of stress because it's when you're working on a long project, just by its nature, it's going to be unfinished for a long time so it can be stressful while it's being finished but um, yeah, having to come up with hacks and stuff, you know, to like get yourself to work is... uh, that could be challenging, I'm sure, because <laughs> it's like <laughs> you know something needs to get done, and you, like you're you're working, you're doing a lot of stuff, but it's all just not it's not productive. Like yeah, I see that with exactly. people talking. I may even be doing this right now, but it's a lot of talking without saying anything. Yeah, you know, and you'll see people doing things without actually doing anything. So, some people may know I shoot uh, office buildings as kind of my uh, my day job. I go into these offices and. A lot of these hip modern offices, they'll have ping pong table, pool table, a bar. They got like all these things. I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing all day? Like, don't you have to... How many distractions are here? Do you you really need to be putting in 40 hours a week here if you got all these activities to do and you're still able to do your job? But yeah, there's no
0: shortage of distractions these days. I can get sucked into the Instagram death scroll pretty violently. Reminds me of another book that I had finished up reading uh Deep Work by Cal Newport and he pretty much talks about trying to get our focus back when we're trying to do work and like these offices of, I mean, that's why so many people are going more towards a like four day work week rather. Like you said, you're going to these places and like open space offices and all these like board meetings that you have, but also the ping pong tables and places to hang out. It's like am I going to work or am I going to socialize? Because I mean, most places that I've gone to that I've worked at, it's a place to socialize more than it is a place to actually get to work done for most of the the shift. Like you're doing more talking with other people than you are anything else. Yeah. My feeling is always like, wouldn't you rather quit work two hours early and go home? But I guess I'm such a homebody.
1: I'm just like, oh man, I'd rather just go home. Can we get this done in like by three o'clock and then we'll we'll all peace out or do we have to like hang out and talk to each other pretending like we're getting work done when we're actually just socializing. It's very weird. But I wouldn't survive two minutes in a corporate environment for a lot of reasons. So, I'm too uh, I'm too combative. I'd, I'd, get, I'd get fired on day one probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be weird for me going from because the past three years really, it's been nothing but school for me and a lot of that's been online after COVID and mm-hmm. it's now going into like a classroom, even a student teaching the past few months, it's it's just such a weird thing of like actually going to work and not sitting at home and navigating that space. Yeah. But yeah, so it's gonna be interesting how that changes. COVID's changed a lot, hasn't it? And one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, kinda of going away from the mental health side of things, a lot of your photography is combining the human element with nature. And you talked about how you your main day job is photographing office buildings that are filled with ping pong tables (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kind of curious more about why you photograph the things that you photograph because i've kind of been in a transitory position where i'm finding myself more interested in the liminal spaces and the human element side of things not necessarily going out to shoot abandoned buildings so much as finding abandoned structures or old long forgotten structures in the middle of the woods that kind of thing. I even have a series going right now that I've been slowly working on. That uh, is Coke machines mm. compared to your EP that you had yeah. shown a couple of them. So I was just curious, what's your why you go after the human element? Like, because you have that mix of abandoned buildings, but also nature.
1: Yeah, I very much used to be like I didn't want any signs of a uh, human touch on anything. Yeah, I was, I was very I was kinda, the same way. yeah classic landscape just make it look as much like I was out in the middle of nowhere as possible. And um, eventually got burned out on that. Part of it was, I don't know, you start to realize that's bullshit most of the time. Like like you see pictures from Horseshoe Bend or some arch in Utah and it's like the picture looks like you're in complete solitude but then you look at any behind the scenes photo, like one that was taken just 10 feet further back yeah. and you're like one of you know, 30 photographers lined up in that same spot, um, taking that same photo.
0: Ben and I had talked about this in one of our earliest episodes and just how far away from the road you actually are when you're taking a lot of photographs that look like they're yeah. in complete wilderness. I mean, he he mentioned one photographs um, that he has that he was like, yeah, I just pulled off the side of the road and yeah. captured it. Yeah. And it's like, it looks like you're in the middle of backpacking in Utah in the middle of the desert. Yeah. But in reality, it's like, no, just this is something that you pass by on the way to another destination.
1: Yeah. And uh I mean, that's part of the magic of photography is you can, you're choosing what to show people. Um, So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's you know, no problem with that. But I, I think as I kept pursuing the nature stuff in that fashion, I don't know, it just became abundantly clear to me that uh, you're not really like showing the truth of anything with this. And I kind of, I, I used to always say that like, My purpose for taking photos was to share the beauty of nature with the world so that they can also appreciate it and Mm -hmm. I understand that purpose but I had to eventually admit to myself, if you want to protect nature, the best thing you can do for it is not share these locations with anybody and not make people admire them. Basically, just pretend they don't exist because the more you show it to people, the more people want to go to it and the more people want to go to it, the more they destroy it. I mean, this is... Yeah. Nothing new and this is a problem with Joshua Tree National Park and closing down trails and all this kind of stuff. So, I couldn't really hide behind that purpose anymore of, oh, I'm taking pictures of nature because I really, I I love nature and I want to share it with people because I felt, well, you're actually going to be hurting nature if you do that. So, you shouldn't do that. Um, Yeah. And so, I I was going through a slump for quite a while where I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to photograph because I'd only really done landscapes. Um, but then I started shooting kind of just local buildings in Orange County just as something to do and it's something nearby and uh, I like shooting buildings at dusk, it's always kind of rewarding because it it just almost always looks good. And then it kind of, I guess, started to evolve on its own of I, I just, I now really enjoy showing the, the impact of of humans on their environment. It's always difficult to describe and this is why I take photos because I'm not good at describing <laughs> it but um, like o- almost like like when you see in I think Australia and Africa and stuff, you see termite mounds that yeah. are insane and like these little tiny bugs are creating these, these vast structures not really knowing what they're doing in that sense, they're just kind of one foot in front of the other doing what they've been programmed to do. And the result is this crazy ornate structure out in the wilderness that we find interesting. And I kind of started to view stores and street scenes and stuff around here through that same lens where I was kind of like, oh, look at this donut shop. Like, look how a sign is, is made. And look look at the all the promos in the window. And you can see all these little things. Oh, they patched the paint over there. And, and I started to appreciate these scenes as almost like a oh, this is humans going about their business, not really thinking about the larger plan they're on. Like they're kind of just, you know, beavers build dams without knowing what they're doing really. They're just kind of programmed to to build dams. Like there was a video going around for a while, this beaver was in like a, I know that sounds insane what I'm talking about, but I swear it'll come together. There um, <laughs> 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 There is this video going around of this beaver at this like rehab center and it was inside, it was in like a veterinary office and it kept bringing all these toys and piling them up in front of a door like it was trying to build a dam and it's like, it's just funny because it's like, well, that beaver doesn't, he's not trying to stop water, he's just programmed to pile things up like, I'm just going to pile this stuff up here for some reason, that makes me feel good. And, And then the result is you get like dams out in the wilderness with a big pond and all this, you know, ecology around it and all this kind of stuff that that sprouts out of this one weird built-in urge to this beaver. And I feel like humans are really no different. Like, we just have these things built into us of to build things a certain way. We like certain straight angles and we put lettering a certain way and we do all this kind of stuff on like, a say, a local business. And then years pass and you look at it and it's got this interesting mosaic of evidence of what humans have done over these many, many years. And it's kind of telling a story of time passing with, with humans in this environment. And you can almost appreciate it. Like you can look at it and say, oh, that's ugly because a lot of what humans do is ugly. And when the consumerist side of it and the advertising and all that stuff, I don't like, it's ugly. But the beautiful side of it is just almost like Watching humans as an anthropologist and kind of examining what they're doing and the symbols they're using and the um, the decisions they make on where to place things and and what to advertise to people and and what you know repairing things over the years and all that all that mosaic it, it's almost like modern archaeology. Uh, I think I've made that reference in my videos before, but you know we look at Egyptian ruins and all this kind of stuff. We try to get a sense of what they were like and what their lives were like and what their day-to-day life was like. A modern like American liquor store to me is no different. It's telling the story of how our society operates right now. It's telling the story of how humans think right now, what our values are for sure. And I kind of started seeing the beauty in these things that previously to me were just ugly because I grew up here in Orange County. I've, I've been here forever and it used to all just be ugly you know, it's just concrete jungle. It's power lines and shitty little businesses and shitty little buildings if you want to look at it that way. But eventually, I kind of started to see the beauty of it. All these different people coming together and living their separate lives and that ends up in this mosaic of buildings and mosaic of old trees and new landscaping and old buildings and remodeled buildings and advertising, advertisements and All this stuff is coming together to create this thing that is uniquely Orange County or uniquely America or uniquely California, whatever it is. And I kind of started to just to be able to appreciate that and not view it as simply ugly. It can be ugly, but there can also be beauty in it if you're looking at the human side of it and kind of imagining the stories of the people that have created all these things. Again, this is why I take pictures because that was a terrible <laughs> word salad of you, me trying to explain why I take the pictures I take, but,
0: but there you have it. No, but I th- I think that's that's eye-opening though into obviously your process of it, but also into like like, I think a lot of us when we get into nature and landscape photography, we go into it, like you said, because we want to share the beauty of the world as we see it and as like- when we first getting into it, we think that that's like the greatest statement we could possibly make. We think that's like profound yes. that we want to share the beauty as we see yeah. it. And that's like mind blowing. <laughs> but then you go and you're like, you, you evolve as a, as a photographer and you get into a, what you would define as a rambly statement like that. But I think that it, it's so much more than that because it's showing the evolution and of our thought process behind things. I mean, I was the same way i got into uh, nature and landscape photography and photography as a whole because at the time i was dealing or just starting to deal with my mental health issues depression and anxiety and kind of realizing that i needed a creative outlet i needed some way to express myself so to speak and it's has since evolved into black and white landscape photography and then more so now into like now as i'm going more towards the human element of things and seeing the intersection between humanity and nature not so much in your light of showing showing the commentary of humanity as as a whole as a subject but more of showing our intersection and showing how not only is nature going to take back over and when we are long gone and not only is it always going to be around and always outlast us, but also to a certain degree, kind of learning that we can live in conjunction with it and should live in conjunction with it like we once did, and just trying to navigate how to formulate that message and or follow along that new path is it's, it's fascinating how we go along and we start to learn more about what we actually want to do with our photography and how that changes. I mean yeah. it, it's it's like any any other kind of change. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about it like for the past, what is it now? Six? Yeah, about six years, I've been doing black and white landscape photography. And like, I always thought that this is what I'm going to be known for is my black and white fo- photographs of intimate nature. And then I start to be pulled towards these liminal spaces that I find. And the, oh, that's a cool chimney. Or, oh, look how this vi- these vines grow on this old abandoned Pizza Hut, and even going so far as like the um, inspired by Chuck kimberly's work with the bones of animals and the detritus around that, and showing like the beauty and like just yeah the reality of of life through that, and just thinking like this isn't the kind of stuff that everyone is going to go for and hang up on their walls, but at the same time, this is the kind of stuff that I'm really interested in at least right now, yeah. and is that going to change in a couple of years? Yeah. Probably as I evolve as an artist, as I grow as an individual, but at that same time, like I've got to do what's true to me. Yeah, and it's difficult to
1: trust your, trust yourself and trust the process because there's always the second guessing that happens when you have an urge to, to do something. You know, whether it's shoot a certain type of picture, you're going to start thinking twenty feet ahead and oh well, what's the purpose of this? And is anyone going to like this? Does it fit into my larger portfolio and everything? Um, in the course of pursuing your style. I think the best thing you can do, but also probably the most difficult, is to just trust the process and trust the the journey. I hate to even call it a journey. That makes it sound so hip hippy hippie. It's not it's not like a, a journey, man. It's just like
0: but There there is a video or a a podcast episode I was listening to an interview with I forget who was who was being interviewed, but it's a real big screenwriter being interviewed by Rich Roll, and he hated the word journey. It yeah. just reminds me of that. He he said that it was such a California word, yeah, of this this journey that you're on. And you're well, they're on a journey.
1: There's all this like precious vocabulary that comes comes up on this type of stuff because it's kind of hard to talk about. So you end up saying <laughs> yeah. stupid things like, oh, it touches your soul, and you you know if it's it's a spiritual journey and everything. It's not that that hippy-dippy but it, it is like a, it's a process, I guess that's probably a better word. Yeah. Like just kind of trusting the process and the sequence of events that have to happen for you to get to the next step. And that's really hard to trust because you can't see the future and you're essentially trusting a process that you're completely not in control of. Like just shooting buildings and stuff for me, I, I resisted it for a while because I just thought. No one's going to care about these photos. Why would anyone want a picture of a donut shop or a liquor store or something like that? And I wasn't trusting the process and I wasn't trusting that I should just take the next step, which is I want to shoot that thing. I'll go shoot that thing. And yeah. you know, damn, whatever consequences result. If it, if no one likes it, who cares? If everyone likes it, okay just take the next picture that you want to take. And that's, for me, proved to be the most effective way to, A, feel really good about my photography. Um, so, actually be proud of it. But also to actually take that next step in the evolution of of wherever my work is going is to kind of just, you know, put your hands up and let let the ride take you. Like you're kind of on a ride. There's a lot of factors that you're not in control of that are going to dictate what you like taking pictures of and what you end up taking pictures of next year versus this year and just kind of letting the the ride happen and not trying to resist it too much, not trying to fight it too much seems to work out a lot better at least for me. So, yeah, I guess trusting that that spiritual journey that you're going on <laughs> and just like <laughs> so stuff is so hard to talk about because it's so weird. And it's so intangible, but best I've been able to articulate it.
0: The number of times that I've passed by some kind of structure or something regardless and been driving by and I'm like, look over, and I'm like, that would make a nice photograph. And for some stupid reason, I don't stop and actually photograph it. Yeah. And then I regret it later. Like right. if I don't turn around and go and actually just take that photograph, I regret it later. But during that time that I'm looking at, it, I'm like, yeah, that would make a nice photograph for someone else to take yeah, because my audience or whoever is looking at my photographs isn't going to like it. But even though in reality, I more than likely would have liked it or at least been happy to have tried to make it into something that I would have liked.
1: Yeah, exactly. Worst case scenario is you would have been happy you found out that you didn't like it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, you can definitely talk yourself out of pictures. I do that less than I used to, but still a problem. You start talking yourself out of why, why this photo is not going to be worth taking. But I don't think I've ever regretted taking a photo. I've been disappointed with the photo, but like I've ever said, oh, I wish I didn't take the time to take that photo. That was a waste.
0: I think the only time that I had anything similar to that was when I first went to Acadia in 2021. I exposed... 43 sheets of film or so something like that over about a week's time Hmm. Um, and i kept three of those photographs (laughs) and it, it, it wasn't it was just one of those deals of like i went to this new place i'd never been there before yeah and so i had the camera out almost all the time and it wasn't it's not so much that i regret having done it because it taught me a lot and helped me on consecutive trips but it's just one of those things of like 40 photographs to keep three. Like, yeah. of course, those those listening who shoot digital are like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. nothing. That, that's my single day. Like, <laughs> yeah. But shooting film, I mean, I, you do the math on that and you're like, after developing at home and everything like that, it's yeah. like 200, 300 bucks that you just spent for three photographs. And yeah, that goes like, right back to our conversation in the beginning of like yeah. the reality of the cost of this stuff.
1: It's yeah, it's like maybe I could have slowed down, and pick and choose my shots a little more carefully. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So yeah. going into next week when I go back up there, it's at least now I I'm hoping I won't have that. Uh, that first year of everything is an explosion and yeah. the first time visiting, I'm hoping that this time it'll be like how it normally is being more contemplative and thinking why I want to, why this calls out to me and if this will actually make a good photograph and not just photographing it cause it's there and it's new and it yeah. might be exciting, but yeah. Well, I'm sure you got it out of your system on the first time. Yeah. You know, Let's see, <laughs> <laughs> don't, I don't have nearly as much film going up with me this time. That's have, a good way to limit it. Yeah. Yeah. I have whatever's left in this box of 100 that I bought last April and uh, 25 sheets sitting in the freezer. I hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, codyschultz.com and you can find my work at benhorn.com For further discussion, Join us at patreon.com slash creative banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone, whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you around next time.